Welcome to the fourth episode of the 2011 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is the Canadian who is very enthusiastic but always overestimates his abilities, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the guy who likes boys with toys, David Vindley. My abilities are amazing. As <laughs> soon as they started talking about it being like boys with toys, I couldn't resist. I know. Low-hanging fruit, sadly. That's what they call me. And I had forgotten how good this episode is. Is Boys With Toys going to be hashtagged too? Oh, 100%. Hashtag Boys With Toys. Make it trend. Yeah, I'd forgotten how good this episode actually is. For an Mm. episode where literally nothing happens, part-wise, it's a very good episode. Yeah, this is, I think, probably easily the weakest episode of the season, but it's still this good. Yeah, yeah. Even though we don't, you don't get too much insight into being able to follow the money in two out of the three challenges. You can still try and figure out where the mole wanted to be positioned in this episode, or what the strategy behind it would be. Yeah, I mean, this is the closest to a filler episode that Vidim got in this era, especially when you consider that Miriana goes, and I've already forgotten who she is. There was a Miriana. Yeah, like, if you asked me to name the people in this season, I probably would have struggled with Mariana, out of everybody. Yeah. She struggles from there being Anna and Hannah. That makes her more memorable, and she still don't remember her. Yeah, she is probably the most forgettable person this season. Because even Hannah has the hilarious exit where she misses out on an exemption for the next episode. Mariana just kind of appears and then disappears. She speaks Spanish. And she's not a very good driver. That's clear, but neither Sundos, but we'll get to that. Or Karen. <laughs> yeah, the the female driver stereotype doesn't hold too well here, and neither does the Dutch driving stereotype. Getting into that first challenge, I have no idea how they thought it was a good idea to let them drive buses in close quarters without being able to see through the windscreen. It just shows you how much more lax the laws are in El Salvador. The fact that they were able to blow up their own fireworks without having anyone overseeing them blow up the fireworks. And now they're allowed to drive buses without any experience of driving a bus before. Yeah, compare it with the Japan driving challenge, which was literally set up around Japan is a country of rules. And then you get this in El Salvador. And the the funny thing is... You know, crashing buses and making fireworks, these are not the most dangerous challenge of the season. No. (laughs) No, there's one coming up later in the season that genuinely they put the contestants in danger. Well, they put them in one of the most notorious gang neighbourhoods in Nicaragua. Spoilers. They, I don't know whether they're spoiled or not, but there's a challenge at a volcano that involves gas masks. Yeah, Nicaragua's reputation for people being around active volcanoes continues in this season, I think is the best way to put it. Interestingly as well, these are two countries and two of the very few countries that Vidim has been to that Amazing Race hasn't. I never thought of that before. Which is funny because El Salvador for the past 10 years, lots of tourists, not lots, but they've definitely attracted plenty of tourists to go there and gets featured quite frequently. And there are certain landmarks that people go to quite often now. 
yeah, Nicaragua has a relationship with Survivor and has been on Race Across the World. Yeah, so Nicaragua is far more dangerous the past five years in contrast to El Salvador. So it's it's very interesting. Albania is the only other video country I can think of where Amazing Race hasn't been. Yeah. Well, at the time of recording, they haven't been to Jordan yet, but that's coming. Strike one off the list in about six weeks' time. So previously, the final nine forgot Hannah existed and were split up, having to create either a mural or pixel art for the other team to identify. They then put on a show for the townspeople and Yang got swamped by young girls, before fractions in the group saw Horace locked away and the group having to pay to earn their luggage back. It proved to be Horace's final act, as he should have trusted nobody and went home. And BTN tells us that Horace was the second to go home, but not before costing the group 2,000 euros, and he wasn't even the mole. The real mole is looking forward to a treacherous bus ride and an even more heart-stopping walk of 110 metres. I know this is a minor team, but when I, when they did the group show, it sort of made me laugh that they had basically had to put them sort of off-centre just so they could fit Jan's arm in the shot because he was just holding that art out so far. And the episode title is a play on the usual Nietzsche's what had liked, Something is what it seems. And we get to see some tropical birds before returning to the group with a pleasant atmosphere, despite Horace's actions. What's with always showing the parrots and the toucans? It's just wonderful B-roll, I think. Yeah, but it always feels like it's some sort of hint. I don't think it is a hint. I don't remember it being a hint. I don't think it is, no. I think it is just, uh, El Salvador has pretty birds, let's have a look at them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I can just relax and enjoy it then. It's like how Survivor Guatemala kept using the Howler Monkey, and then the, but it was basically the quietest person in the season that won. And Mariana opens the episode by saying that people are playing games and withholding information, but they're doing it in such a tranquil way. We're lying to each other. So therapeutic. I mean, this should have been the first hint that Mariana was going, because she actually got a confessional this time. Yeah, she got the first confessional. I'm thinking, does she go home then? There are basically only two people who get confessionals in this episode, one of whom is Mariana because she's going home, and one of whom is Art because it gives good confessionals. If I recorded the confessional numbers in this episode, Art probably got about 70 or 80% of them. It's really noticeable, this episode. It's been noticeable every episode. He is 100% the narrator of this season, even if you didn't know how he does. Well, just the way, even after, I know we're jumping ahead a bit, but even after taking the quiz when we're about to have the execution scene, Instead, it's just Art talking into the camera as if he's doing one of his narrations as host. But instead, it's him talking about getting the uh, getting another yoker from Patrick and knowing that the mole doesn't need yokers and if, if he's actually getting yokers from the mole. But he's, he's talking, rather than it being somebody just talking about it to themselves, he's talking about it to the audience and have, inviting the audience to play along with his thoughts. Yeah, I mean, setting aside the results of this season and you knowing how Art does, why do you think that they are giving Art so many confessionals? Is it just because he is so media-trained and gives good sound bites? I would say so, and he comes off as such a... We see it again. Every task, he's always leading the group. Maybe just the producers who were out there with them were just in awe of... Art's performance from start to finish and saw him as being leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of the cast. Yeah, it's the only thing I can think of is the fact that he is so media trained and such a fan of the show that he kind of knows what they're looking for straight away. 
Yeah, it helps that his background is like basically the sort of reality TV game show sort of stuff, where even the other people who do give good confessionals, like Sundos, like Karen, more actors and like broadcasters. But they both have their personality quirks as opposed to art, it seems. It's as if art is coming off as a more reliable narrator to the audience. I have to say, after this episode, I love Sundos and Karen even more than I did. (laughs) Crashing into each other. (laughs) They're both such good characters. We were blessed by having both of them on the same season. I always forget when I rewatch this season just how good Karen is. Because, like, you know, I think if you tell me to think of a, you know, funny middle-aged person on this show, you think of Arf, you think of Cecile, you think of Ellie Lust. You don't really think of Karen that much, which is a shame because she's bloody brilliant. You should think of Karen more. And spoilers, Karen is the banner for this episode. Her reaction to the execution? It was indeed her reaction to the green screen. (laughs) Where her eyes bulge out of her head. It just made me laugh more than anything else in this episode. Was just Karen's reaction. I love her. I'm on record as loving her archetype anyway, and, you know, she very much lives up to my love of that archetype in this episode. So they are taken to a racetrack for their first assignment, and Peter Yan says they will be taking turns driving the buses that are behind him. Anna says that all the guys were excited, as they were like boys with toys. Unfortunately, the view out of the windscreen is a little bit limited, but they can change that when they're on the buses, and they could win €3,000 for the challenge, but they could also lose €3,000 if the Moles bus wins the race. This is the sort of challenge that they love to throw in about this time in a season, of the, oh, you won't find out the results just yet. Yeah, they're Ryan Seacresting it. But I had completely forgotten that this is the challenge that has the price of the yellow bus hanging over it. I'd forgotten they did that as the twist for this challenge. It's not one of the more memorable challenges this season, but it's memorable enough that you don't feel annoyed that you've just spent 20 minutes watching something that does not matter at the moment. Especially when they're crashing into each other. Yeah. It's more memorable for the fact that it's in the intro with Art shouting, drive away Sundos. Or turn to the right, turn to the right, I think it actually is. (laughs) Right, right. And then it's the one time where we see Art absolutely lose it. (laughs) So all they have to do is spell out the words that PEN's looking for from balls that are thrown into their bus. And until they make the words, they only have a tiny viewpoint, and the driver sees nothing, so needs a navigator. And the yellow bus is Anna, Karen, Patrick, and Yam, and the white bus is Art, Sundos, Miriana, and Pepine. Our asses bus if anyone thinks that the mole is on their bus, and they all refuse to say. <laughs> yeah. Art is probably thinking, eh, I guess that was that was too easy. Little does he know that people might be revealing their mole suspects in the next challenge. It's funny that Soundos and Karen were the first two drivers, right? Yeah. And I think, what, it took about 7.2 seconds before an accident happened? <laughs> Obviously, Karen was an absolute maniac in this challenge. But I'm also pretty sure that Sundos was very, very far over her lane. I think they're kind of equally culpable on this. Yeah, if BCAA were involved, they'd both be equally at fault. I mean, Sundos obviously comes off worse, given that she has one wing mirror by the end of it. 
but I think they are probably both at fault, and I love them both regardless. Note to self, never have them drive at the same time near each other. I think at that point, production were probably going, shit, this might have been a bad idea, guys. What's even worse is that there was a sign on the course that said Diana right afterwards. That's just for all your tunnel vision needs. Too soon? <laughs> that one is going to age horribly in the next year until this comes out. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess everyone's going to be thinking, oh yeah, this was recorded when the Queen passed away. Yeah, this is recorded, what, five days before the Queen's funeral? I saw a thing on Twitter where somebody turned on their Nintendo DS and there was a picture of the Queen in the top screen and then a message on the bottom saying, oh, all DS games are inoperable until the period of mourning is over for the Queen. Anyways, back to these buses. It seemed like a, for the first half of the challenge, the toughest part was just finding the correct letters on the balls and putting them in the correct order because Patrick... Uh, referred to this challenge as it being lingo from hell. And that joke is going to age horribly, given that by the time this comes out, the CBS lingo will have been cancelled. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the toughest part of this challenge is actually telling the difference between the words curvy and moist. Yes. <laughs> I often have that problem. I mean, it does explain so much, doesn't it? I'm so curvy right now. <laughs> well, you do live on Curvy Island. And it's Karen who, who misheard it, right? Where she mixed it up, was it Boktig with Voktig? Yeah, I think it was uh, Karen who messed it up originally, yeah. Yeah, because she's just the old lady behind the wheel. Huh? Ah, what? Is that what you said? Ah. Bindles, out of interest, how old is Karen? 47. So, you know, not 38. So she's slightly older than half then. Yeah, slightly older. Although, getting people to spell things on this show, or you know, listen to things and then pronounce them correctly. It's a little bit vucked. And that is a reference Logan does not get yet. So yeah, as we said, Karen drives almost immediately into Sundoss's bus, ruining her wing mirror and scaring her so much that she threatens to quit driving. I'm not sure whether she threatened to quit driving or threatened to quit driving the bus. Because if she threatened to quit driving based entirely on Karen's actions, that is quite a reach. Pete Yan tells them to prepare for the race and the first word is curvy not moist. At the flags, they have to stop to complete their words, and the yellow bus, Anna, Karen, Patrick and Jan complete their word first, and Anna is able to take over and remove one of the window covers. The second word is bus lane. Bus barn. Not test barn, as Art hears it. Pepine takes over driving for the other bus, and he says his drive to catch up made it significantly harder for the letters to get found. If Soundos and Karen were bus drivers, the bus lane would have to be twice as big as any other lane in the Netherlands. If Soundos and Karen were bus drivers, they'd have to start sweeping the canals. And uh, pay for the next in insurance tier for the company. I do think this challenge is very interesting because the mole wants to win this challenge. It's a rare mole challenge where the mole doesn't want to sabotage. Yeah, where moling is winning. I don't mind that twist. No, there's not that many challenges where they do it. Yeah, it's just really interesting. Yeah, the only other one I can think of off the top of my head, aside from, like, the voting challenge in Albania and the one that's based on in Sri Lanka, is there was one challenge where basically the mole predicted whether you did something and then you won money if the mole was wrong or lost money if the mole was right, but that's the only other one I can think of. 
Yeah, that was the South Africa one, wasn't it? Uh, Spain, I think, the Ascender? Uh, South Africa also had the bungee jump one. Oh, yeah. That's the one that I know it from. Because that's a frequent mole challenge as well as as Path of Temptation from this season. Yeah, that wasn't the mole predicting. Like, that was like split into pairs and then your partner pre- guessed. I thought the mole predicted. There's definitely been a version of the uh, the Orlando Cooling Towers bungee jump where the mole has predicted who, um, who would jump, who wouldn't. So the yellow bus drives straight past the flags and Peter Yan bollocks them. They can stay where they are until they have the word. The third word is circuit, and Yan takes over driving the yellow bus. The white bus have the rather logical choice of throwing the blank letters out of the window to make their lives easier. However, they do it so slowly that Peter Yan has to passive-aggressively ask if they've even found the second word yet. <laughs> you can't continue until you have the word, guys. The best thing is, I had completely forgotten that the next episode is the one with probably the iconic PEN reaction. I've forgotten that that is episode 5. I've been looking forward to it all season. Yeah, this entire PEN being a bit sassy with them in this challenge is just a warm-up for what he does in Nicaragua next episode. It's delightful. And almost certainly will be the banner, for the record. (laughs) It's the world's easiest banner. Because I know Bindles would never speak to me again if I didn't even try and make it the banner next week. Correct. So they think that Patrick will be driving them to the finish in the yellow bus, but he manages to not only ruin Sundos's wing mirror, but also the gearbox of the bus. And that gives the white bus a chance to catch up. They complete the third word, and Miriana takes over the driving for the final stint, and they attempt the world's slowest overtake, as the chair is in the wrong position for her, and she starts rolling backwards. And Art says he feels sorry that she had a very worked up Pefine and Art advising her, who probably thought that they were helping, but they really, really weren't. And she ends up also breaking their gearbox, meaning that both buses are broken down, and one of them only has one wing mirror. I love Petty Yarn just being like, okay, get out and walk, you stupid idiots. (laughs) (laughs) I've been waiting here with a checkered flag for an hour. What are you doing? We're not sending a third bus around to rescue you. There's no room left on the track. (laughs) It truly is the walk of shame. (laughs) It's like the Jamaican bobsled team after they crash the bobsled in cool rains and they have to carry the bobsled across the finish line, Mm. being the only team that didn't complete the course. Luckily, they didn't have to carry the bus here, but it's a sad, sad walk. (laughs) For a challenge that will mean absolutely nothing for six more episodes... This is just delightful comedic behaviour from Peter Yan. And then he gets there, and then he's pissed off that he didn't get to wave the flag. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I was given a flag. I wanted to wave it. I was looking forward to this. You pricks, stop this happening. He just throws the flag onto the ground. Screw this. This is my last season. Art, your host. Yeah. You see this checkered flag? Stick it up your ass. I'll see you later. (laughs) I also love the the underrated passive-aggressive moment of him going, well, you better hope that the yellow post didn't have the mole on, but for now you've earned nothing. See you later! (laughs) I wonder, how long were they given to try and uh, get the bus moving? How long were they allowed to troubleshoot it for? It must have only been about ten minutes. I mean, they had to film the church challenge in the afternoon. They were definitely on a clock. 
I was nervous because when Mariana broke the bus down, that was a lot of smoke coming out to the point that it was getting dangerous. Bear in mind they have negotiated a strict time slot for them to do the people smuggling in episode 5. They need to do all of these <coughs> challenges before then. About the only thing that went right for the team in, the, in this challenge is none of them got pissed on by a goat. Yeah, and if you think that I am not going to spend the next episode and a half calling it people smuggling, you are wrong. Because it is, spoilers for next episode, my favourite way they have ever transitioned countries on this show. They stick them on a boat and go, we're going to a new country. And that is it. Hope you've got your visas, otherwise it's a long way home. You see it in the next time trailer of them going, where actually are we going? Are we being trafficked? Because it sure feels like we're being trafficked here. Avro has switched to doing a documentary halfway through the season. It's basically their version of Australia's iconic hit, Go Back to Where You Came From. Which actually would have been roughly around this time, thinking about it. I think so. I think 2011 sounds right. Yeah, Go Back to Where You Came From is actually a very interesting documentary series, as the name suggests. It's all about um, doing the people smuggling routes in reverse and taking people to some very surprising countries, if you think about what the insurance would have cost them to do this show. It was actually very interesting, and I did watch it at the time. But the whole transition between El Salvador and Nicaragua next week does remind me of something that they would do on that show. It's just, oh, get on this boat and we'll see you on the other side. Have fun. So, Peter Yan then meets them at a lovely church, and Sundos reads into the decorations as there are eight statues and eight of them left. He then asks for their mole books, and Art says he's never seen so many locks in one location. <laughs> I love the Peter Yan's like, I want to have your journals now. Don't make me wait for them. Don't make me get the checkered flag out again. <laughs> You've already made me wait once today. Do not anger <laughs> me further. I want them now, Daddy. <laughs> Now, that's something he would have heard if he'd uh, gone to the places where there are even more locks than on the mole books. But yeah, Peter Yen's just, just there like, this checkered flag has a very firm stick, and I will beat you around the head with it if I need to. Hurry <laughs> up. Whack. <laughs> also a quote from if he'd gone to somewhere with more locks than the location with all the mole books. So he then asked them to pick their opponent for the upcoming assignments, and it should be someone from the other bus. Art and Karen are the first to team up. They'll be asked questions alternately. If they tell the truth, their opponent will not move. If they lie or don't answer the question, their opponent will take a step forward. And if they take three steps forward in the limited amount of questions, then they will get to read the other person's mole book. What's interesting is everyone always chose to lie instead of just pleading the fifth. I, I think you were forced to answer. Well, it said in the intro, unless this is a a mistranslation from the subtitles, that you did have the option of saying nothing. Hmm. Because that was specified in the subtitles. I don't know whether that's actually accurate from the Dutch, but apparently Peter Yan may have said you could have said absolutely nothing, or hesitated too much. So Art says that Karen does nothing but write, and he wants to find out what she has been writing. And what he doesn't know is that Karen actually had a successful career after the season had finished, writing under the pseudonym E.L. James. So what he missed was shit Twilight fanfiction from her uh, mole book. Karen is asked what the mole's role was in the performance challenge, and she chooses to lie and say performer, and Art takes a step forward as a result. He's asked how many times the mole managed to link the correct story to a person in the theatre, and he tells the truth and says less than six. She's asked if the mole took an exemption in the path of temptation, and she lies again and says no. 
Alex asked if the mole killed a sniper in the laser game, and he says yes, telling the truth. And Karen is asked the last question as Alice is only one step away. Who did she answer as the mole? And she says Horace and tells the truth, meaning that nobody gets to read a diary. If she had not suspected Horace, do you think she answers truthfully? It depends who. Because I can't remember who she's on in this episode. She doesn't even say in this episode who she actually suspects. So we don't know who her backup choice would have been and whose answers ended up saving her in the last test. Because let's be honest, she was probably the person who got tied with Horace. You think she's faster than Horace at the computer? Yeah, good point. It might not have been her. I don't think they ever reveal who it was. It's certainly not on the Wikipedia. But I guess her revealing who she thought the mole was, even if it it wasn't the person who was just executed, maybe she still tells the truth anyway, because giving up that little piece of info, well, not little, major piece of info may still be less than the amount of info that Art is going to uh, get from her journal. Yeah, presumably there would have been a time limit on the on the mole book reading. And also, more importantly, we don't actually know how much there was information-wise in her in her mole book. She could have just been writing letters to her husband for all we know. <laughs> so the next pair are Jan and Mariana. She says she trusts him the most and he trusts her, at least in her mind. He tells us that he's playing selfishly and he tells the truth that the mole didn't take an exemption. She lies about the mole's key being hidden under the bed. He tells the truth about the mole speaking Spanish. She lies about the mole setting off fireworks. He tells the truth about the mole carrying money. And then she is asked who she suspected as the mole. And she tells the truth in suspecting Karen, meaning that nobody reads a diary again. Patrick and Pepine have basically a Mexican standoff in El Salvador, as they both just keep telling the truth to every question and nobody even takes a step. How nice. They both trust each other. I could rattle off all the questions, but I'm not going to. They, they both tell the truth. Yeah, it's probably lucky they were like the third pair instead of the first one. Well, they would have edited it differently, wouldn't they? Yeah. They would have edited a more interesting pair in as first. The final two are Sundos and Anna. Sundos is one of the stupid people who writes everything down in her mole book, so she needs to protect it. She lies about the mole speaking Spanish, and Anna steps forward. Anna then tells the truth about the mole lighting fireworks. Sundos tells the truth about the mole not shooting shooter. Anna lies about the mole taking the exemption, and Sundos takes a step. She tells the truth about the mole's key being hidden under the bathroom door. Anna tells the truth about the mole getting less than six answers correct, and as a result, neither of them read a mole book. Yeah, Anna's strategy was just if it was a split yes or no question to uh, just go with whatever the majority was, right? Yeah, Anna's tactic here was interesting. How would you play this as a mole? Well, definitely don't. I'd just be too nervous about a contestant having access to my journal. Just because it'll compare to how they do their own journal. If it's vastly different, they're going to pick up that the person is that, I, that I'm the mole. So I guess just play it safe or maybe tell two out of three questions truthfully. Yeah, because I'm presuming that the mole is allowed to just throw the test every time and do fake answers, especially if they know a challenge like this is coming. I wouldn't tell the truth all the time, but I also wouldn't let the other person get my journal just in case. Yeah, I think it goes back to what we've previously said about the mole's tactics generally. And I think a good mole is someone who isn't vastly different when they are the mole. They're still doing the sabotaging, but their personality doesn't change much. 
And I feel like if the mole knew a challenge like this was coming up, they would have played the first four episodes like a contestant in terms of writing everything down and making sure that they've got the information that you'd expect in a mole book, just on the off chance that maybe they get backed into a corner by whoever they're up against in this challenge. The other thing is, this challenge had to be done with eight people. So, what would have happened if Pepine had said, now Sodom, and we would have lost someone in episode one? I think they'd probably do like they did with Hold Village in Japan, where basically they have, you know, a bunch of pairs and then one person just does something slightly different on their own. But I don't know what you would have done with the extra person. No, neither do I. Because they don't have the danger of someone else seeing their mole book. Unless you play it as a trio. Maybe you have to guess who Peter Yarn suspects. What was Hin's thing for the when she was the odd person out in that in that Yoker game? She got to pick Yokers for herself. Oh yeah. So probably was just a some it was probably something lame for whoever was left over, I presume. Yeah, who, whoever other than Hind was in that challenge picked for their partner, and Hind just picked for herself and then skipped the second part of it. So as a result of her answers, Sundos found out that Anna doesn't suspect her, and that is an issue, as she wants everyone to suspect her so that she can find the real mole. And then Sundos gave up a lot of information where Anna figures out she's suspecting Patrick or Papine. Yeah. And we really find out who... Uh... Who was it? Somebody really makes it clear who they're suspecting. Oh, Zian, because he said he said the mole speaks Spanish. The mole was one of two money carriers, the other being himself, and that the mole didn't take an exemption during the exemption route. So you can't help but think, hmm. I guess Zian really went for art on that quiz. Surely nobody would be going straight ticket on an early quiz in the mole. Well, that's what he kept saying. He said, oh, I figured it out. Then after the challenge, he says, oh, I'm lying about who my mole is. But he just told the truth about who he has put as the mole for at least the past two rounds. Eleven years into this show, there is no way anyone goes straight ticket on, say, episode four's test. No way at all, he says, knowing full well that at least two of the eight people in this episode do. Yeah, it's crazy that, well, even to this day, we still have the occasional person go straight ticket really early on. It's not common anymore, but even even after 11 seasons, it's still happening over and over again. So Patrick and Art have a discussion after the challenge, and Patrick gives him one of the yokers for episode 4 that he earned on the Path of Temptation. How bad did he cook those eggs if they turned into a joker? I mean, it's punishment enough. Art says that he lied to Patrick's face, sorry Patrick, and he still has two of his yokers that he gained from the Path of Temptation himself. Now he has three. PT Ann says that everyone chose the truth to keep each other from their truth, but a lot of damage was caused on the racetrack. The question is whether the mole caused more damage to the pot with their actions. And he meets them in a scenic spot and tells them that the split rock behind him is the location for the next challenge and is nicknamed the Devil's Door. For two and a half thousand euros, they have a very simple assignment. All they've got to do is walk exactly 666 metres across a wire strung over the gap. And the wire is 111 metres long, so six of them have to do the challenge. And I presume that they were told exactly how many metres they had advanced all throughout the challenge, because they knew Patrick's exact distance. Yeah, I mean, Patrick's eight metres seems a bit shorter than what we saw in the episode. 
eight meters is basically nothing. Yeah, unless he just it didn't count because he like slipped and fell a couple of those meters. <laughs> I don't know. It's four Patricks in terms of height. Yeah, I think that's what like the diagonal ropes going across the entire thing were there for, just to sort of ah. help them estimate it. Because otherwise, you don't really need them. It's not like a safety rope that sort of just goes along with them. It's there the whole time. No, and the top rope was far too low for pretty much everyone anyway to to use their hands if it was meant to be above their head. Because at one point we see Art kind of have it under his armpit. So Papine is the first to go. It's his sort of assignment, and he decides to cause a little chaos by doing some acrobatics on the wire. He slips off it halfway and says afterwards that it was all dramatics. Patrick is then second. He says he's not scared of heights at all and was told that his weight wouldn't be an issue. Art says that he was very optimistic to begin with, but Patrick ends up struggling and gives up. And everyone essentially agrees that he's enthusiastic but overestimates his abilities. Anna is third and focuses on the rope. and She says that it helps her to sing and she gets across. What was the second song she was singing? I don't know. I obviously know what the first one was, but the second one I have no idea. And once again, she has a very, very neutral uh, English-speaking voice. Jan is fourth, and he says he didn't feel obliged to race across the wire like Anna did. He took his sweet time, but he made it across, making three of the four of them so far. I have one note on Jan. I, I realise neither of you noticed, but if if he'd tightened his jeans any less, we would have been able to see his Netherlands. Because they were falling down so far in that harness. I guess that's why they edited it so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> we'll take your word for it. Oh, there's one funny thing after the bus challenge when they're all exiting the bus. And then Yan just overall frustrated that neither bus was able to go across the finish line. He gathers about 20 or 30 blue balls and just tosses them in the air as he exits the bus. And ironically, blue balls is what he had after this assignment. Yeah, with, the, with that, how tight the harness can be. If he was uh, Shamir, he would have just, somebody would have been punched by the end of it. Anyway, let's get to the main event with Karen going fifth and everyone thinking that she wouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, Patrick saying, if you don't make it, I'll end my subscription to Cairo TV Guide. That was Art. Oh, that was Art? Oh. <laughs> Art was the one who shouted that he uh, he would cancel his subscription to the KRO if she bails. Which is a bit like saying, do this or there is no God. <laughs> and she's unsurprisingly an absolute delight. At the end she says, well, I think I can die now. Oh, that was the end of my bucket list. She is so petrified of falling and of doing any sort of heights challenge that it's really heartwarming to see that she does make it across the entire wire. She was even more feared of just being permanently labeled as the useless older older woman in a in, on a reality TV show. Yeah. I mean, the good news for her is that this is the Heights Challenge done for her. She never has to do another one. She definitely won't freak out at another Heights-related challenge. Definitely not. Not on Vidim. Yeah, and the best news for her is the fact she protects her subscription numbers as well. Yeah, she didn't lose a subscriber. It wasn't a net loss to be on Vidim for her. Art is sixth, and he says that Karen making it across was a motivating factor for him. He couldn't let her beat him. He has a bigger disadvantage, the fact that the weather is rolling in and it gets cloudier and windier for his attempt. And he also has the other disadvantage I noticed of wearing entirely inappropriate footwear for this challenge. 
he was wearing some sort of thin suede boots, which would have given him zero grip on that wire. So he was doing this challenge on hard mode. Although it did have heels, didn't it? It did, but the material was so thin on it and the sole was so thin that Mm. he would have just slipped off the wire. Yeah. And he does make it across, meaning only one more person of Miriana and Sundos needs to. That's not going to happen. Yeah, and Miriana attaches herself to the wire and then immediately bails. Nay, nay, nay! <laughs> How would you guys have done on this challenge? Would you have managed to do it? Uh, I, I, I would have been a Patrick. Like, it's, it's the sort of thing, you know, I'd feel completely confident in and then sort of get five meters away from the edge and then just be like, no, I'm not going the rest of the way. How would you have done, Saunders? If I was in arts position where everyone got to have decent weather and then it suddenly gets really rainy, windy, and stormy just for me, then I think I would be a bit nervous. But if it was the normal weather that everyone else got to do it in before him, well, I also would have been nervous then, but I would have found it more thrilling to try and get across. It looked exhausting to get across. That is, because I think, have all of us done rope courses? Yeah, I mean, my history of rope courses was very well documented in... uh... I can't remember whether it was the start of this uh, season or the end of uh, Hong Kong Philippines, but we've done my Go Ape stories and me refusing to fall off the wire deliberately. I've done rock climbing, but there's a ropes course like literally three three minutes walk away from my work and I've never bothered going up there. I probably should, but also, you know, I value my sanity a little bit too much. So when I did the... Because I've done a couple of ropes courses... And you get so exhausted to the point that, I mean, my muscles were sore, I think, for the next three days after the last one I did. So I know 111 meters is, it's, it's, it's just as, it's equally physically demanding as it is scary on TV. (laughs) Yeah, 111 meters is a long way to be supporting your own body weight. Yeah, to use muscles that you don't normally use on a regular basis. Mm. Because this is back when I would have been running and swimming. So it's just certain muscles that you just don't normally use. So if it was normal weather, I would have done it. I would have been I would have been frightened the whole time, but it would have been thrilling to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's the sort of thing I'd love to do, but I'd be terrible at it. And I'm you know fully aware of that. I think I would have had a decent crack at it. I'm not sure if I would have got the entire way across, but I would have definitely had a go at it and gone, oh my God, what am I doing to myself? And then kind of forced myself to do it. Yeah once (laughs) and then never again because i'm not bad with heights it's the falling that i'm not great with yeah i like to feel safe that's the difference i'm perfectly fine with heights but put me on a glass floor on the cn tower for example and i'm like nope not enjoying this (laughs) and while i lay on the glass of the cn tower (laughs) yeah my dad's worse with heights than i am and when me and my brother went to uh, the cn tower in 2012 it's the world's highest glass floor and uh, we took a picture of me sitting on it, and my brother took a picture looking down, basically, just to try and shit my dad up a little bit. The weird thing about this challenge is, even though it's, you know, very fucking high, it also looks like it's sort of, like, far enough away from the cliff that it feels a little bit safer. Yeah, like, it's an actual thing. It doesn't feel like it's something they've just built for Vidim. It feels yeah. like an actual thing that they do there, so... You'd be yeah. a bit more comfortable with the safety aspects, I think. 
And yeah, after Miriana bails, Sundos is almost as terrified as she is and decides not to walk the wire, meaning nothing of two and a half thousand euros for both the challenge and the episode, and still 9,240 euros of 32,650 for the season so far. I did love like Patrick sort of complaining about Sundos and uh, Miriana not even trying it, and Anna just being like complete like, you know, shut up, Mr. Eight Meters. <laughs> Dude, you did almost as badly as they did, and you didn't even pretend to be scared. So it's now time for the test. 20 questions about the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least goes home except for the mole who can never go home. Patrick and Art both have three yokers. Patrick's all have to be used in this test, and Art has one that has to be used in this test. This was a really cool place to do the test. I was surprised they were willing to do it outside with a downpour being triggered any moment. I'm thinking, are the, is that laptop even going to be functional? Yeah, really cool location. Also, super impractical for both test and execution, given during the test scenes, I think about six of them, you genuinely cannot see them in. The visibility is low in this test. So Miriana says that at some point you just think that you know, but you really have no clue. Anna says it'd be a shame if she sees a red screen as she has an exemption for the next episode if she gets through. Sundos thought that it was suspicious in El Diablo that Patrick was really enthusiastic, but then only did eight metres. It's always the case with him to come up short, and not in a Horace or Bindles way. Patrick plays two of his yokers and gives the spare one to Arthur as he has a really good feeling about the test and wants both of them to make episode five. Pepine says he has decided to play with fire and go for one person only. What? If he's wrong, too bad. It's all or nothing now. No, it doesn't have to be all or nothing, Pepine. You can still split it for, like, three more weeks. Like, the worst thing about this is the fact that if you cast your mind back to the premiere, Pete Ian told them if they get to episode five, they will be changing countries. That is the milestone that pretty much anyone on a split location season wants to get to. He obviously reconfirms it at the execution. But if Pepine had any sort of memory for the first episode, he would have gone, I'm going to play this test a little bit safer than I probably want to, because I just want to see where we're going next. You don't want to get sent home right before the location changeover. Karen says that it feels like Russian roulette to her. She was convinced that it was Horace and had a lucky escape. But if she gets a red screen now, she can be content with the things that she's done. Jan thinks that Karen causes mayhem. He now knows that she just isn't the mole. She's just, you know, a chaotic middle-aged woman, which we love to have in the mole. And Art ends the test scenes with a realisation that a mole would be willing to give Yokus away. And Patrick could be not just a good friend, but also maybe the mole. PTN says they'll be leaving the country after the next execution, but one of them will be leaving the country first and going back home. Anna is the first one with a screen, and it is green, securing her through to episode 6. And the best thing about this entire execution is the fact that you cannot see the screen for shit. Everyone's just squinting? Is that, is that green or, or red? Like I know we're watching this on low-res versions, because this was pre, pre-HD, but you can't really see whether it's a green or a red screen. They're lucky in the fact that when Miriano, spoilers, does end up getting the red screen in this, it's cleared up enough that that you can actually see it. But you can't really see our screen, for example, because it's super foggy. And you can't really see Anna's screen because it's super foggy. And it only cleared up because Peter Yarn got his checkered flag out and just sort of started waving it in front of the screen to get rid of the condensation. 
Yeah, it's like, fuck you, weather. I get to use this flag now. <laughs> For once. So Jan, when it's clear, Art, when it's foggy, and Karen all get green screened before Miriana gets a clear red one and is sent home. And she says that in true mole fashion, she had a hunch. Yeah, I, I would like to jump in and say she had a hunch after her name was typed in and the red screen came up. Then she she was thinking, oh, I had a hunch. I was executed after I saw that red screen come up. She knew immediately that she was getting the red screen. There's a 30% chance it's already red. As soon as I saw the red screen, I knew I was going to be executed. And Yan says that it was great having her in the game because she wasn't suspicious to him, but too bad, so sad. The game continues. <laughs> I, I know we commented on Pity I just not having any time for Hannah a couple of episodes ago, but this one's basically, were you expecting it? Maybe. Well, bye! <laughs> <laughs> and my favourite thing is that because of the weather, she just gets led up a path into the mist and we never see her again. She gets taken through the devil's door. La Porta del Diablo for you, Mariana. And you thought you could avoid it. It's like every children's game show of just walk into the mist and you'll never be seen again for all the eliminated contestants. And it's beautifully atmospheric, but it's also literally atmospheric that caused the terrible, terrible weather that they probably shouldn't have had the test and execution on top of a mountain for. It's almost like, you know going to a ski resort in the middle of winter and then being surprised when there's a blizzard. I mean, who would do that? Nobody yeah. with competent production would. No. So next time, a boat across the ocean leads to a mystery country, Yan rides a horse, Karen goes for the calves, the heavens open, and Peter Yan gives us the most Peter Yan Hagen's dick moment in Vidum history. Now, do you want to eulogise Miriana? Do we need to? Does anyone care? If she was the mole... She was on the path of copying the Meryl archetype as being mole, with being under-edited, but always in suspicious situations. But because she didn't end up being a mole and instead an early boot, uh, she'll just be known as, oh yeah, she was... That one we got confused with all the other women. Yeah, with all the other uh, other people whose suffix in their name was Anna. I think if you asked me... The trivia question, who was the last person executed before they went to Nicaragua? I would have had real trouble picking it out as Miriana. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have guessed correctly. Like I, like, I couldn't remember who got executed next episode. I had a, yeah. as it happens, correct guess. But I genuinely had no idea that Miriana, A, made it four episodes, and B, was the last person before Nicaragua. Yeah. And I think that is a perfect eulogy for her. She was literally a contestant on this show. <laughs> she spoke Spanish. She did, leaving Art to carry the uh, the load of the speakers of Espanol. <laughs> so who did you suspect, Saunders? Uh, so I had Mariana at number one. Womp but on. then as soon as she got that first confessional, I was thinking, eh drop her down even further down the list, but then she broke the bus down. She acted like a mole would during the journal game, and then she didn't do the wire. She did not bring any money in this episode, as far as I know. Nobody brought any money in this episode, officially. Yeah. 
So potentially negative three thousands she brought in. So I'm thinking maybe she's just well, just the mural type where she's they just picked the person who may not have the most interesting personality, but may just fly under the radar and end up as the mold by the end of it and really do really wreak havoc on the pot. Number two is Anna. She again is just always in uh she's always doing suspicious stuff. And number three, I have Karen, because it would be hilarious if she's really trying to play into the confused older woman in the game and just really be outsmarting the group from start to finish. Pet Pine, every once in a while, he just draws suspicious suspicions to himself in an odd way. We think at one point he's really going out of his way to play for the pot, and then other times you think, oh, hmm, I don't know about that. Like, he comes off clumsy at times, but I don't know if that's supposed to be intentional. Number five is Patrick, where I think he's really, really trying to make himself look like the mole. Uh, number six, I have uh, Soundos, because she's just hilarious, and I just cannot see her being able to pull off being the mole within her hilarious personality. And number seven is Yan, because it would be really bizarre for a mole to say, oh, I'm going all in on every quiz, and then still... Uh, stick around each time. On the other hand, that would be a good hidden clue. Yeah, why am I still here? I'm always going all in. And he's brought in the most money out of anybody within this group of seven as well, where he had clear opportunities to sabotage a challenge but still hasn't taken advantage advantage of it. Something I've just thought of when when we were listening to your suspicions, do you think that the the bus challenge sort of backfired on production a little bit? I think they were expecting more of a strategic game where people were going, oh, right, we need to stop now because we think the mole's on our bus. But the problem is they are that terrible at driving the buses that everything breaks. It's tough to say, did the mole successfully pull off the bus breaking down? Or was it just everyone sucked at driving the bus so badly that it was just sort of a null and void challenge that whatever the results were is just going to be a big coincidence? Yeah. It's interesting to hang a potentially 6,000 euro difference on when this challenge really, really kind of backfired from where I suspect production wanted it to be. And you can't help but think, is it the driving where the sabotage was supposed to be, where the person behind the wheel might be a bit rough on the car or rough on the bus or go a bit slower? Or is the mole supposed to be coaching uh, the driver or maybe stall with collecting the letters? There are a lot of different ways to sabotage this challenge but it's just unfortunate that it kind of ends in a draw but yet peter yanis say well there is technically a loser to this challenge but really i wish it was both buses losing and that there was no winner or just scrap the challenge completely I'm, I'm almost surprised that the challenge just wasn't edited out of the episodes entirely because they could have easily gotten away with that if they thought oh let's just both buses broke down. This isn't how the challenge was supposed to play out. Let's just say this is null and void. The problem with that is then you'd have to try and build an entire episode out of the church challenge, which was barely interesting enough to fill the time it got, and watching people go across a rope one at a time. Yeah, that's going to Australia levels. Yeah. Which nobody ever wants to do. Yeah, that's the other, that's the other tough part of it. Have you guys got anything else you want to say? I'm good. Looking forward to next week, though. Yeah, next week's a fun one. If they had a backup challenge, would they have tried to use it 
for after the bus was over and say, okay, bus challenge scrap, let's do our backup one. Well, it's, it's interesting because this season is the only one I can think of where they haven't confirmed a single day yet. We don't know what day this season's up to at all. So it's obviously quite a tight filming schedule. So I don't think they actually had the buffer in the filming schedule to be able to go, ah, we need to scrap this morning challenge. Let's just add another one in there and spend another day here. I don't think they had that luxury. This episode was two days because the first scene where Patrick gives Art the Yoko is over breakfast. But aside from that... I could probably work it out, but usually they say how many days into the season we are at the start of each episode, and they have done none of that this season. Hmm. So, thank you for listening to our VS Mall 2011 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for an old mall in El Salvador and Nicaragua. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at Logsakwaki, Bindles is a grooming kaffer, and I'm MJ Harmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. See you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next to flavoring. Put away your devil's door, Jan. I'm not interested. <laughs>